you are listening to the Pro Ecclesia podcast from the Truett Church Network. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Todd Talks, where my guest today is Carolyn Moore. Carolyn serves as both the founding pastor and the lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Mm-hmm which I understand, Carolyn, is in Evans, Georgia. That's right. And this is a suburb of Augusta, Mm -hmm. where I understand they play a little bit of golf. We play a little golf there. (laughs) Once a year, we do nothing but play golf. (laughs) That's right. And oh, for the pimento cheese sandwiches. (laughs) That's right. That's exactly right. (laughs) Carolyn holds both the Masters of Divinity and the Doctor of Ministry from one of our sister schools, Mm -hmm. Asbury Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. And Carolyn is a uh, podcast host. She is a blogger, and she does so under uh, the auspices of uh, this wonderfully named website, artofholiness.com. I I encourage those who listen, those who watch, to go out and uh, to have a tour. It is a remarkable resource. So uh, Carolyn is on our campus as our inaugural chapel, uh, uh, our Wallace Chapel lecturer. Mm -hmm. And Carolyn, it's so very good to have you here. Welcome to Baylor. Welcome to Waco. Welcome to Truett. uh, Welcome to the Wesley House of Studies. (laughs) I have been so energized by this idea, the Wesley House of Studies, since the day I heard about it. And so it's really, for me, like just, it's just kind of a little bit of a pilgrimage to be able to come here and see it firsthand. And so I have it in my mind as I continue the conversation with Kevin and Rusty and others who are making this happen. I'm really grateful to Baylor and Truett for making space for, um, for Orthodox-leaning Methodists. This is, this is bigger than you realize mm. for the Methodist world. Thank you. Well, it's, it's a joy. And, uh, you know, what began as a dream uh, with... Uh, some friends mm-hmm. uh, allowed uh, ultimately uh, that remarkable uh, William J. Abraham yeah. to come among us, a giant yes. uh, who was in our midst for a season. Right. And uh, all of us feel that uh, he was taken from us too quickly. Far too soon. Yeah. 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 Well, Carolyn, um, there are some friends uh, who listen to this podcast uh, who may not yet know you. <laughs> and I am so excited for them to get to it. And I thought that one way might be for you to just share a bit of your own story, a bit of your own journey, your call to ministry. And then would you allow that to um, uh uh, go to the, the, the point where you presently serve at Mosaic and tell us a little bit about the mission and ministry of Mosaic. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. And I can't imagine why anybody would know me. I've just been living on a side street in Evans, Georgia for a long, long time. Uh, so You're deeply and so... dearly loved by many, including uh, my friends Ben Witherington oh. and Scott McKnight. Man, I love those guys. They're just, amazing. Yeah. So so I, I was raised in Augusta, Georgia, actually, even huh. though in the United Methodist Church we move around a lot. I just happened to get thrown back into the briar patch. I was raised in Augusta, Georgia, in, you know, and in the South. Um, when I was a child, there were, you just didn't see women in uh, 
ministry leadership. You just didn't see it. So um, when I was 13 years old, I, I heard the voice of God. Hmm. It, was as, it was crystal clear. I was standing in a pulpit on a Sunday night, giving a little devotional message during a youth service that, you know, remember we used to have yeah. Sunday night services and you used to invite the youth to do it every once in a while. And that's what was happening. And, and in the middle of that devotional, I heard the Lord say, this is where you belong. My goodness. And it was loud enough for me to stop and look around. I thought somebody had spoken it. Afterwards, I asked if anybody else heard it and nobody else heard it. So I assumed it was for me. I had, I think I had a simple gift of faith as a, as a teenager. And so I, you know, it was sort of one of those things. If God said it, I believe it, that settles it. <laughs> um, I just, I didn't even know enough to know that that yeah. might be an issue. Okay. So by the time I got to high school and was um, really talking about this a good bit, my pastor steered me in the direction of Christian education because that would be more acceptable for somebody like me. And the only problem with that was that um, I, am, I am a disaster in a room full of children, first of all. Second, it just wasn't my call. And I discovered as I tried to do what he said um, uh, finding a college and beginning a degree in Christian education, that my faith and my call were intricately related. Mm. And when I stepped away from my call, I stepped away from my faith. So I had 10 hard years, uh, really more like 12 probably, of not living for Christ. Uh, a lot of those years were hard drinking years. And, and so, so the Lord, just, I mean, sort of just let me wander out there for a while. Mm. And the enemy just grabbed me. And I would have to say, the enemy grabbed me, not because the church had done something wrong, but because that's what the enemy wants to do. Just, sure. just, just kicks you down the street and, yeah. and change you up. Hmm. And um, hmm. so it took, it took a Bible study for me to come home to Christ. I had, I moved back home with my husband. We moved back to the Augusta area after having finishing college, having an adventure. And um, I couldn't imagine being in Augusta with my mother there and not going to church every once in a while and pretending. And so I'd show up in church. I found a friend in church and she and I heard about Bible study fellowship. BSF. Yes. And I went to BSF and hmm. the first week I went, I walked out of there sort of like deer in the headlights look. These people are serious and, yeah. and they have rules. And yeah. I was not a rule follower. Um, but BSF through BSF, the word came alive to me. Yeah. I mean, it jumped off the page. Yes. I can remember sitting at my kitchen table, just the words, mm. just 3D jumping off the mm. page at me. And then my husband got involved with BSF because he didn't want to get left behind. So we came back to Christ together. Mm. And then one night I heard the voice of the Lord again. And um, I was just asking him, I was sitting in my room by myself that night. And I was just asking him, what do you want from me, God? And he said, just say yes. And it was as if all the years between the time I was 13 and uh, the time I was 30 just disappeared. Those, like, like those 17 years didn't seem to matter to mm. God. He was mm. just sitting there drumming his fingers, waiting for me to answer a call. Mm. And so I said yes that night. It was very scary. The one thing I knew was that I would not preach. <laughs> Never tell God what your plans are. It just makes him laugh. Um, and, uh, and and I knew I wasn't going to go back to school. Those two things. I'm not going to preach and I'm not going to go back to school. But God, if you want to use me otherwise, 
<laughs> so there was that. Yeah, and as it happens, you're doing one, and you did the other. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, he he laughed really hard at that school thing because after. After I got my master's degree, I said, no, really, this time, yeah. never again, yeah. never again. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. then, but I, I'll tell you what sent me back for my doctor of ministry. I was some years into this church plant, yeah. and I could not figure out why I couldn't do what my colleagues were doing. Most of my friends were church planters. You kind of get off in that yeah. little world when you yeah. plant a church. And I love those guys. But I couldn't seem to do what they were doing. And, I, and they're great guys, really intelligent guys, very gifted, called, anointed. But I couldn't imagine that I was that much less called, anointed, gifted, or intelligent than they were. And yet I couldn't manage to do what they were doing. And so I had this question, what is it? What is it? What is different about women's leadership than men's leadership? And what, what are the barriers that women face? And how do we move past them so we can plant effectively? And and, and, and I was asking someone that question one day, and they said, that sounds like a burning question to me. And a burning question is why you do a doctor of ministry. <laughs> wow. And so that's how I got, ended up doing my doctorate, was simply to answer that question for myself. And uh, one night, in the middle of my doctorate, I found a study. Most of the studies that are done in the area of women's leadership are not inside the church, they're outside yeah. the church. Yeah. So I was reading some, some study, some psychological study on, on how women lead. And, and, this, and uh, it said that here, this is a thing, that when what you know to be true is not affirmed by the people around you, you feel crazy. <laughs> and I had church. It was like midnight in my office that night. And I just stopped and said, thank you, <laughs> Jesus. That's yeah. what I have felt all okay. this time. Yeah. I have felt like, what is it? I can't figure out what it is. And nobody is affirming what I think mm. it is. And so um, just knowing that, just knowing that gave me so much peace. It means that I just have to learn how to do what I do and let the world take it the way they take it. And just be faithful. My, my call mm. is to be faithful. It's not yeah. to be understood. Yeah. My call is not to be comfortable. My, my call is not even to be recognized. My call is to be faithful. Mm. Mm -hmm. So this Doctor of Ministry project mm -hmm. um, ultimately uh, gives birth to your recently published book. That's right. In fact, That's right. Uh, this book is so recently published, I first held it in my hand yesterday. Did you first see it yesterday? I didn't first see it yesterday, but I just got my copy two days before you guys got yours. Okay. And, and it, that, it's not released until... September 27th. Okay. So, so we're, yeah. we're about when we're having this conversation a yeah. month ahead of the game. That's exactly right. And yeah. so it's very exciting to yeah. me to see so many people walking around. <laughs> surreal feeling. So isn't it? Truett Seminary, uh, Wesley House of Studies has yeah. purchased uh, the first 250 copies of Carolyn Moore's book, um, published by Zondervan Reflective in conjunction with Seedbed and our yeah. dear friend uh, J.D. Watt. Right. And and uh, the volume, uh, friends, is entitled When Women Lead, subtitle, Embrace Your Authority, Move Beyond Barriers, and Find Joy in Leading Others. Mm -hmm. Carolyn, in the introduction, uh, followed on at, uh, before uh, or, or uh, preceded by, uh, forwards by 
Tara Beth Leach and Scott McKnight, uh, you on two occasions frame up a question. It's a two-part question that you then organize the volume around. So the question runs, what barriers do women leaders face mm -hmm. and what strategies will equip them to lead past those barriers so they can lead effectively? So um, let's talk about uh, part one on the one hand, part mm -hmm. two on the other hand. Mm -hmm. So what are some of these challenges? Mm -hmm. what, what are some of these barriers that you personally, uh, as a minister and you uh, professionally have observed as a female minister, a woman minister, mm -hmm. uh, that women face in the midst of ministry? It's a great question. And, and let me just preface by saying that even in my tribe, the United Methodist tribe for now, um, we, um, you know, we have answered the question of whether or not women can lead. Yes. What we have not answered is what happens when women lead. Yes. And so these barriers really are exploring what happens when women lead. These are the, the unspoken barriers, the things that make me feel crazy. Yeah. <laughs> When I'm mm. leading, that they're not spoken out loud, but they're under the surface, yes. and they and they and they're even if you don't call them barriers, they're challenges, and yes. they're things we need to know about if we're yes. going to lead successfully. You just yeah. the more you the, the more you know, the better you do. As you say, yes. what you don't know can hurt you. That's exactly right. <laughs> so. That's exactly right. So one of the most obvious barriers, having said that, is the theological barrier, and I address it. Um, I, I do kind of give a fair account of a, of a Wesleyan understanding of, what ha of whether or not women should lead. But, but really beyond that, there's just the fact that half the Christian world does not accept the place of women in spiritual leadership or ministry leadership. Maybe that's the better way to say that. And so if you, if you count all the Catholics in the world and the Southern Baptists, and then, and then the, most of the Reformed movement, many of the neo-Reformed independent churches, that's really more than half the Christian church globally who, who, who believe that women do not need to rise to the place of ministry leadership. And so I respect that. I, I, I totally respect that. I disagree with that sure. reading of the scripture, but I, I think that the better way for us to really approach that fact is to respect those who disagree so that we can understand yes. how they, what's your take on scripture um, and how can I best help you to embrace another possibility? Yes. So understanding yes. non-defensively yes. the differences yes. between complementarianism and egalitarianism, I think is very important. Yes. That's one barrier that we or challenge that we need to face. A second one is really fascinating to me. It's the perception barrier. And there's two parts to it. Um, so there is what I, what I believe is that in Genesis 1 and 2, men and women were created partners. We were yes. made to steward the earth together. Male and female created he them. That's right. Yes. Genesis 3 yes. turned the partnership into a hierarchy. Yep. So everything, everything, Christian, non-Christian, wherever you live yeah. on the world today, yeah. you live on a post-Genesis 3 side of things. We live yeah. in a fallen world. Yes. So every one of us yes. have somewhere inside us 
a tendency toward hierarchies. Yes. It's what makes us think, all, no matter how bad it gets for us, at least I'm not them, right? <laughs> and it's the same thing that made the Pharisee pray, at least I am not a, 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 a tax collector, a woman, or a Gentile, right? That's right. I mean, no matter how yeah. bad it is, at yeah. least I am can, not them. And no matter how bad it is, it could get worse. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So there's something inside us, maybe it's conscious, maybe it's subconscious, that just tends to tip the scale. Somebody is, is better than, somebody is not as good as. Yeah. And so often that happens between men and women, so yes. often. So no matter where you are in the world, you'll find that hierarchy exists. And in other places in the world, it's much more difficult than it is for me in the United States as a female. So there's that. When you walk into a room, you really don't know who's consciously or subconsciously doing this yeah. <laughs> to my leadership capacity. Yeah. That perception, that external perception, then creates an internal perception. Got it. If I have, if I have been walking into enough rooms, uh, experiencing enough nonverbal or verbal pressure, experiencing enough sideways comments, then I begin to doubt myself. And if I didn't come into ministry or come into leadership with a, with a strong sense of myself or a, and, and a lot of healing, boy, I'm, I'm way back before the starting gate, yeah. even beginning to understand my own sense of self-perception as a leader. Yes. So I find myself, women find themselves apologizing their way into a room sitting at a table, wondering if we really belong at this table, even if we've been invited to the table. Yeah. So the imposter syndrome. That's right. That's yeah. right. Which everybody has. And I sure. say this multiple times in the book. Men have their own yeah. issues. I'm not yeah. saying that men don't have issues and women have a lot of issues. Nope. Everybody deals with the imposter syndrome. <laughs> we all have everybody issues. Everybody does. Yeah. This is just often why it happens and how it happens for women. And understanding it is helpful. Yes. Then there are other barriers like the resource barrier. When there are fewer women in ministry leadership, obviously you're not going to expect every coach to give their whole, you know, their whole vocation to helping women because you can't make a living doing that. So so often coaches will um, they, you know, they, they follow where the, um, where the interest is and where the majority of the folks are that they can help. So it puts us at a disadvantage when it comes to getting coaches, when it comes to uh, mentors, even when it comes to the available dollars if your tribe supports growing works. I remember one day having uh, somebody from my own conference office call me and just say to me, I just wanted you to hear first, the guy down the road is getting the grant, you're not. It's just that his church is growing so fast. And, um, and I understood. I get it. But man, ah, <laughs> how am I supposed to do this if everything flows away from me because of all the other challenges I've, I'm faced with as a, in, in that case, female church planter? Yeah. Um, so resources are a barrier. Uh, and, and then there are other things that women just need to just take note of and like the biological challenges that we face and that's not even challenges it's just more realities yeah. women have seasons in their life when they give themselves um, to childbirth and to raising children and i say to women all the time you, you can have it all you just may not be able to have it all at once there you go. 
Um, and, and, and sometimes it's just a matter of figuring out what your family can handle and yeah. what your particular call is. That has to be a family, that has to be a family conversation. Yeah. You, none of us live in a vacuum. And then when we get to our middle-aged years, there's a whole other set of challenges as our bodies begin to change again, and that creates a different set of realities for us and how we handle that and how mm -hmm. we how everything begins to break down for us. Just help, you know, that's something to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. We we want to say, that's not fair. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. we shouldn't have to stop for this. Fair or not fair is not the point. Yeah. Yeah. These are these are realities. Yes. And we will fare better yes. if we acknowledge the realities. Uh, Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird did an yeah. amazing study of planters, not just women planters, but planters across the country several years ago. And they, they discovered that when church planters know the challenges that they face, when they are eyes wide open aware of the difficulty yes. of planting, they are 400% more likely to succeed. Yeah. So knowing the challenges doesn't make us less likely, it makes us more likely to succeed. The Small Business, uh, the Small Business Administration did the same type of study, looking at small businesses and entrepreneurs. Same thing. If you know what you're getting into, you are more likely to succeed. Hmm. So when we come at these things, not defensively, no. not angrily, yeah. just understanding we live in a fallen world, these are, these are things you have to deal with. You have so much more chance of, of doing this, of embracing your authority, moving beyond the barriers and finding joy hmm. in your leadership. So this is a, a plea for a kind of ruthless realism. That's exactly <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yeah. And there's no need pretending that things are not as they are. Right. Uh, and in order to move beyond that, you at least need to start there. That's exactly right. Yeah. The, the, the church has met its quota of whiners and angry people. <laughs> so I have a friend who once said that whining is not a spiritual that gift. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. And, <laughs> and, and so it isn't. Right. But, uh, but strategy yes. Uh, is. Yes, to be wise as serpents. And so yeah. you pivot, yeah. um, Carolyn, uh, which is a name I love. It happens mm. to be my wife's name. Uh, and yeah. so, and there aren't many Carolyns around. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, but uh, you pivot in the second part of the book to say, okay, uh, given these challenges, given these obstacles, given these barriers, you can either say, okay, uh, we're going to spend our time merely identifying problems, or we're going to begin to work towards solutions. Right. And so uh, you not only uh, say, uh, here is a diagnosis of the situation, mm -hmm. but here is kind of a prognosis forward. And right. so uh, walk us through your recommendations for given mm -hmm. the struggles, the uh, realistic uh, situation that women in church leadership find themselves, uh, here, here's a way through. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's gonna look different contextualized, mm -hmm. but here's a way through. Yeah, that's a great question. I, there, the two big ones are identity and authority. I think when we, and of course, these two big ones apply to both men and women. Yes. Um, 
when we don't know who we are in Christ, yes. when we've not dealt with the wounds in our lives that really prevent us from understanding who we are in Christ, we, we really don't give the church, and I'm talking about the Big C Church, what the church deserves and desperately needs, which is folks who are healed and whole and can take authority over their call and over the people they've been sent to serve. Yes. So the, it begins with really understanding your identity in Christ. And in the book, I give a couple of simple exercises along with some other options for moving forward and getting the kind of healing that you need so you can know who you are in Christ. And then when I talk about authority, in, in my tribe, when they lay hands on you at your hmm. ordination, they say, hmm. take authority hmm. um, to, 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 I don't even remember the rest of the thing, but it's take authority to lead in the church. And, um, and so, I think so many people have had hands laid on them and have had that charge placed on them. When they get, when they get up and they walk away, they leave the authority on the table. Hmm. We're still apologizing our way into the room. We're still questioning whether or not we should be here. We're still waking ourselves up in the middle of the night with huge anxiety, wondering if, you know, when is it that today is the day? How many Sundays have I woke up, told my husband on the way out the door, today's the day they find out I'm a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we're, we're, we're really not taking authority over the gifts we've been given. Growing up, as Paul says, in every mm, way mm. into him who is our head, which is a huge one, mm, especially mm. for women. There's so often women's healing comes in the form of terms like, you know, you are God's princess mm. and you're God's little girl, mm. which it sounds lovely for those of us who missed a childhood. I'm 59 years old. I am not a little girl. Yeah. And at the time when I am able to say, nope, I am a grown woman <laughs> yeah. in this room. And I, and I have been given authority by the church to lead here. And I will make hard decisions and sometimes unpopular decisions. And in those moments, Paul gives me another great piece of advice. And that is after you've done everything you yeah. can do, stand. That's what it means to take authority. So those two things, identity and authority, are deeply in, 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 in ingrained, I mean, are inter, interrelated. Yeah. Um, but then beyond that, there's a bunch of practical stuff we need to learn. We need to learn how to negotiate for our salaries. We need to learn how to budget. We need to learn how to structure a church and structure leadership for growth. We need to learn how not to lean on our sometimes, not, this isn't, I don't want to stereotype, but sometimes, we have a strong nurturing gift, you know, it's yeah. the mothering instinct that comes out in us. And when everything else is not working, we want to go visit everybody and make them feel good. That's not a way to grow a church. You can't grow a structure if you're everybody's mom. Uh, Carl Jung calls it the great mother. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, so, and so how do you structure for growth yes. and, and actually set some of your gifts aside so that other gifts can yeah. flourish? Yeah. Yeah. And then finally... How do we work in partnership with our male colleagues? Yes. How, do we, how do we help men, educate men, yeah. give men permission to mentor us, to open doors for us, to coach us? Yes. How do we approach those relationships with, with integrity and from a healthy place as a colleague in ministry so that the men in our lives are not threatened by the idea of being uh, in, in, a, in a collegial, professional relationship Yes. with a female who desperately wants to do everything God has called her to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, Carolyn, that stands out to me for 
as one who spends uh, much of his life studying Paul, mm -hmm. uh, is for, um, for all the things that Paul is meant to say restricting women. Yeah. Um, uh, although I think they're decidedly contextual. Right. Um, much of his ministry is spent in partnership where he has women co-workers. Yeah, and right. we know their names. That's right. Oh, my goodness. That, that chapter in Romans where, 16 he, where is just, he just, it's like a hall, it's the great hall of women. I say yeah. that, you know, the, there's the hall of faith in Hebrews. Yeah. There's the hall of women in Romans. Yeah, that's <laughs> and right. And how rather, can you read that yeah, chapter yeah, yeah. and not come to the conclusion that Paul was in close partnership yeah. with a number of women yeah. who he set in place as he moved from yes. town to town, ministry to ministry, house to house, setting up folks who could then carry it forward. Yeah. yeah. So um, thank you for the gift that is uh, when women lead. Uh, it is likely that many of our listeners um, have uh, read books on women in the church's ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, and many of our uh, listeners have likely uh, read studies. But one of the things is uh, one who has read and even written some myself can say about this book is it has a certain pragmatism. Uh, Scott uh, uh, McKnight even says it is um, uh, a pastoral leadership book. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, this is a real gift. And I think Carolyn finds a place, a niche uh, among other uh, resources available for women. So thank you for this. That's what a kindness. I'm humbled by that thought. And so and really my whole goal is for the next generation of women leaders to, to have more tools in their tool yes. chest. Yes. Fallenness will not go away. No. We, we, we want to think we're going to get past this. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say, uh, you know, that um, we're at 21st century. I can't believe we're still having this conversation. I can. We still live in a fallen world. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Yeah. But the more tools we have in our tool chest, yeah. the more likely we are to keep people from burnout yeah. and, and to, truly to help them flourish in ministry. And the more people who are on the ground yeah. doing the work yeah. of welcoming and advancing the kingdom of God, the sooner we can all go home. Yeah. The world is too lost to play without right. half of our team. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> so, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's uh, there are so many arguments yeah. for women in the church's ministry fully and freely participating. Yeah. But one of the strongest is the missiological one. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's happening in Iran right now is amazing. Yeah. Just, just it is, it is beautiful to see. So often, God will do that. He'll use a person of peace yeah. to enter an unreached area or an unreached people, people group, and often that person of peace comes with the skin of a woman, yeah. and and she walks in with her beautiful gifts of collaboration and family building, and she tells the stories of Jesus. She doesn't even have to be literate. She just brings the stories mm. with mm. her, and God is glorified yes. as people come to see Jesus mm. with, uh, with in, in all his beauty and splendor. Yeah. And even Baptists, uh, <laughs> even Southern Baptists, yes. still have 
leading lights known as Lottie Moon. That's exactly right. Annie Armstrong. Yes. The irony is palpable as uh, it is tragic uh, that women are not empowered more than they actually are. Yes. You know, my first trip to, uh, to India was with a Southern Baptist. Yeah. And he, he walked me into tribal areas that uh, where there, were, there was no electricity in the whole village, and we were preaching by candlelight, and he invited me to stand and share the word. Uh, and I, I'm so grateful, I, truly, truly yeah. grateful, that my first mission experience in India was under the leadership of a Southern Baptist man because he got evangelism. Yeah. And that's what gets me really excited. Uh, Mary, the, the gifts and anointing of a woman with the deep passion for evangelism and seeing the whole world come to Christ. Mm. And that's a powerful combination, friend. It is it's a, a powerful po combination. It is a powerful combination. Yeah. So, Carolyn, a, a book is like a fire caught up in one's bones. Yeah. And so uh, I suspect that there might be something uh, else brewing as you kind of brood over it. Um, give yeah. us... Give us a thought as to what might be next. Well, I actually had to set that book aside in order to do this one. <laughs> okay. Because I just, I was, I just felt this was the, this was the burning in my bones okay. that wouldn't let go of me. But the next book, I think, will be on Leviticus. Um, I've done quite a bit of speaking and teaching on Leviticus as recovery. I think Leviticus is the most under misunderstood book in the Bible. Wow. It is it's truly a book of freedom and life um, and, and, and holiness in my, in my mm. estimation mm. Or, or my definition of holiness. It truly is. It's to live life well. Mm. To live a holy life is to live the good life. Mm. And so there, there's so many amazing parallels between Paul's, sorry, I'm jumping between New Testament and Old Testament, between the, the writer of Leviticus uh, how he walks us mm. into holiness mm. and into life. There are just so many beautiful parallels between how he does that and, and the 12 steps. So I lay the 12 steps over Leviticus and I walk you through hmm. uh, how to live the good life. And so pray for me. Um, it's got to come out of here eventually. <laughs> so pray for me that it'll come sooner than later. <laughs> well, and it's not entirely easy uh, as uh, a a busy pastor yeah. uh, giving <laughs> giving leadership and love to a church. Yeah, I'm giving leadership and love to a church and I'm giving leadership and love to a new movement in the Wesleyan tradition. And so I have a couple of hats right now and, yeah. uh, and then want to give life to this project as well as it gets introduced to the world and put it in as many hands as possible. So the Lord knows how many hours there are in a day and the Lord will see fit to do as he would. Yeah. Uh, it, it is this balancing and juggling act, though, isn't it? That's right. That's yeah. right. I, you know, I say actually in this book that balance is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there are rhythms. Yeah. And there are times yeah. when we press, 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 yeah. and then there's times to pull back from that. Yeah. 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 Well, Carolyn, this has been an utter delight for me. Thank you. Thank Mine you. Too. Such Thank a pleasure. You. Such a privilege to be here at Truett and to be just to be able to breathe the air where the Wesley House of Studies is beginning to take form. I'm really, really impressed and inspired by what you guys are doing.
Thank you. Carolyn, I wonder if you might close us in a word of prayer. Would that be okay? Absolutely. So wherever you are right now, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and give mm -hmm. your whole heart, your whole attention to Jesus. Find that place that is passionate, not passive. Mm. Lean in mm. to the presence of Christ right mm. there where you are. Mm. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we would ask right now that you have mercy on us because we are sinners. Bless us, Jesus, with a fresh sense of your grace over us. And God, fill us again today with your Holy Spirit. Fill us, Jesus, again with your Holy Spirit so that we can, so that we can uh, feel... <laughs> Feel the fullness of you and the joy of you and the energy of you and that it overflows, God, in our witness and in our work, Lord, and even in our rest, God, that, that, that the fullness of the Holy Spirit would overflow mm. from us, Lord. We pray together for the church of Jesus mm. Christ, asking God that you would do what only you can do to adorn your bride, to perfect mm. your bride, to make your bride ready so that we can see that glorious vision that John saw in, in mm. Revelation. Mm. Lord, we hunger and thirst mm. for the coming kingdom. Mm. So make us good witnesses, God, so that we can be part of the welcome and advance of God's kingdom coming. Mm. 